Welcome to another Long Gospel Devotional. I'm Eric Sorensen, pastor at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, as well as a contributor to 1517 in numerous ways, including co-hosting the podcast 30 Minutes in the New Testament, doing these videos every week with you, and working in the Relations and Development Department there. Good to be here with you again today as we seek to look at God's two words throughout all of the scriptures. And today, well, we have quite a special passage for you today because we're going to be looking at the epistle text from this upcoming Sunday's lectionary. And because, well, because there's so much to look at and there really is so much to go through, we're not actually going to do what we typically do, which is we, we do a little review of the other lectionary text. But no, in fact, we're going to spend our whole time just on the passage before us today so that we don't waste anytime. And so let's get right to it. If there's anything that I can tell you this passage is that we have to look at today, it is, in fact, some good news. As John Krasinski made famous during the early part of the pandemic as he created a news station, only de delivering good news because, in fact, the whole world needed some good news. And this passage really it just is all that. I mean, it literally, there's no bad news to the thing. And what passage are we looking at? We're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose." which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, period. Finally, he's not done. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we actually acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. End of reading. Well, as you can tell, this passage heavily emphasizes God's choosing you. God's choosing people to be saved. He is saying in this passage, abundantly clear, I pick you. Now, to get a little further into that, let's dissect it like at least Elliot hoped to do with his frog in E.T. First of all, who's doing the verbs in this passage? Well, notice all three persons of the Trinity are involved in doing the actions that were just described for us. The Father is talked about in verses 4 through 6, the Son is talked about in verses 7 through 12, and the Spirit is talked about in verses 13 and 14. All this to say, when we talk about the game of salvation, when we talk about God's saving work, it's important that we recognize that all the persons in the Trinity are eminently involved in it. 
because they all will the same thing for you and I to be redeemed children of God. So who's doing the verbs? All the members of the Trinity are doing the verbs. Secondly, what do we receive in Christ? Well, Paul says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I did you the favor of looking up the Greek for the word every, and it turns out, folks, that it really is the word every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's see what Paul says are those spiritual blessings. Number one, we're chosen to be holy and blameless. That is declared to be such a thing in Christ, verse 4 says. Now, some commentators will, will uh, read this and think it means that we're chosen to become holy and blameless. In other words, the emphasis or the emphasis is on the syllable that says this is about us. We're chosen to become more holy and more blameless throughout our lives. But we know based on the rest of the scriptures that in fact we will not be blameless until we reach glory. And indeed, the only reason that we are holy at all is because we have been declared to be so on account of being imputed, reckoned as righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when it says that we're chosen to be holy and blameless, what it means is that we're chosen to be recipients of all that Christ gives us so that when God looks at us, our sins are not seen, but only his perfection on our behalf. Therefore, verse 5 tells us that we are adopted. We are made part of the family of God. We are made children of the king. No longer is God simply the judge of the universe, but now he is our father. Why? Because we have rede been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 7. We have redemption through his blood, that verse says. And therefore, we are forgiven of our trespasses. We are forgiven of all of our sins, never to be held against us ever again. So we have obtained an inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance that will lead to indeed the kingdom of God being ours forever and ever and ever. And finally, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee that all these things that we're told we have are going to be ours and indeed all are already ours. That is how much good news is in this passage. I told you, the thing is just overflowing with nothing but good news. Good news, good news, good news. It's gospel all the way through. Great, Scott. It's a lot of free stuff we're given. How do we obtain all these blessings? Well, Verse 4 again says we were chosen to obtain these blessings from the foundation of the world. Yes, before we ever breathed one little breath, ever before we knew anything that was going on, God knew that he would have us, that he would have you, and that he would choose you to be his. We were predestined, according to verse 5, to obtain these blessings from the foundation of the world. So God not only chose, but he made it absolutely certain by predestinating that it would happen. Why? Because he has lavished his grace upon us. We obtain those blessings. I love, I just love that word lavished. It's just this extravagant, abundant grace that he offers to us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his great faithfulness and love for us. 
Because he has made known to us the mystery of his will through his preached word, we obtain these blessings. In other words, the way that the revelation was given to us that we are his, that we are chosen, that we are saved, that we are forgiven, is because he's chosen to reveal it to us through the mouth of a preacher, through somebody telling us this is indeed what's been won for us. You can see that in verses 9 through 13. And then, because in our baptism we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, we are guaranteed these blessings. Now, I know, I know. Some of you are saying, wait, wait, wait. Where do you see baptism here, Eric? Well, let me refer you to the Lutheran Study Bible and specifically to a little discussion about that word seal. It says this, a seal marked ownership. The word was used for a wax seal on a scroll. John 3.33, Revelation 5, 1 through 5, you can see it being used that way. Also for a brand on an animal or a tattoo on a slave or soldier. In the Old Testament, God sealed Cain to protect him, Genesis 4.15. And circumcision sealed the Israelites as God's people, Genesis 17.11. God's seal marks all those in heaven, Revelation 7.2 and 9.4. A seal leaves its image through baptism. The promised spirit makes us his dwelling. Now, that's what the Lutheran Study Bible says. How do we link seal and baptism? Well, let's look a little bit at some of the passages of Scripture. Romans 4.11, speaking of Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, here's how we make the connection, okay? Listen carefully. What is New Testament circumcision that acts as a sign to seal us? Well, to find the answer to that, you have to go to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Remember, Paul says that circumcision is a seal. Romans 2 or Colossians 2 says that we have been circumcised in a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. There's your link, folks. There's your exegetical link in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So if you've been baptized, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder if you've got that seal. You can know for certain you have because in those waters, God placed his name on you, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and said, mine. So the reality of what he has chosen in eternity past becomes visible for us when we're brought to the waters of baptism. This is such a tremendous comfort because I know a whole lot of people wrestle with this doctrine of chosenness. All of a sudden, as we think about chosenness, we become philosophers about it, and we start wondering, well, why some and why not others and that sort of thing, missing the point entirely of why these things are given to us. Anytime you hear Scripture talking about being chosen or being predestined or being elected, it's always used in a way to comfort the believer. It's always used in a way to say to those who have been rejected and known lots of rejected, there is one who does not reject you. 
Jesus Christ, your Lord. In fact, he's chosen you. And if you want to know for certain he's chosen you, look back to your baptism. I don't know about you, but I know the sting of lining up as an elementary school kid to be picked for a dodgeball team and not make the final cut. I know what it's like to not be chosen. I also, thankfully, know what it's like to be chosen as I got older and became a little bit more athletic. Being chosen is a tremendous gift, especially when we recognize how undeserving any of us are of that reality. And yet God, in his abundant grace, says, I want you. Yes, that's what this passage is really all about. So you say, well, what is God's motivation? What is, why would he do this? Well, the passage tells us that too. Verses four and five, because of his love for us, just like John three sixteen says, it is love that sends his son to die for our sins. It is out of a desire to bring all together. This is a foreshadowing of what the rest of Ephesians will be about, which is Paul saying, God, through this gospel message, is declaring to everybody, no matter who they are, where they've been born, poor, rich, whatever, that they can be a part of the family of God. That in Christ, through faith in Christ, they are a part of the family of God and have been chosen for an eternal kingdom. And ultimately, what will that result in? That God receives all the glory. Verse 14. Yes. Now you say, well, that seems maybe a little selfish. In fact, no, not at all. The fact is, if we were to retain even some of the glory, then we'd use it as a way to boast about ourselves or beat others over the head and compete with others. It's a wonderful thing that God says, I'm going to take all the glory because it's going to be all my work, all of my son's sacrifice that will do everything necessary to make you fit for my kingdom. Yes, it really is that good, folks. So then the question comes in a passage that's just chock full of good news is where in the world is the law? Because, of course, the title and contention of this series of devotions is that the scriptures have two words, law and gospel. And so you might wonder, like, where is it at? I mean, is I thought this was a rule and it doesn't seem like there's any rules. As Michael Scott says, well, I think we have to remember all the time that passages sometimes have implicit law or implicit gospel. Here's what I mean. The key is to always read every passage with an eye to the broader context of the entire story of scripture. Very, very important that we don't isolate texts or just read them in, in a way that divorces them from the rest of the story. And this passage, yes, it does has, have phenomenal declarations of what God has done for us, but all we have to do is ask, why would God have to do such things and there we are brought face to face with the law because we were unholy, unredeemed, naturally spiritual orphans, condemned and dead in trespasses in sins. The law. Naturally, we were like those who did not get acceptance or granting into the family of God. And yet, that is what makes this passage such incredible news. In spite of your sin, God in great love declares he has chosen you. He has declared you to be holy and blameless. He has redeemed you. 
and he has sealed you through the waters of baptism. Therefore, you can rest assured being completely confident that you are in right standing with your Lord. Yes, he's done it all, folks. This is the good news. Well, I hope that is at least a little bit encouraging to you this week. I hope you had a great 4th of July weekend, and I look forward to seeing you next Tuesday as we gather again today for God's two words of law and gospel. God bless.